Welcome to J-Rod Concerts, the podcast with Jamie Rodriguez. A trip of music discovery, Jamie is picking people he thinks you'll really like. Musicians, artists, producers, and everyone involved in the world of music. Here's your host, Jamie Rodriguez. When you talk about today's guests, you're talking about the whole package. Unparalleled charisma, infinite talent, discipline, work ethic, the whole package. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the J-Rod Concerts, the podcast, we welcome Katie Cole, Australian-born, Nashville-based singer-songwriter, that when you meet her, it's no surprise to know why she is making the noise in the music industry that she is making. Katie tells us her whole story. From growing up in Melbourne, Australia, and started performing when she was just a young girl, to her journey into Los Angeles and now Nashville, Tennessee. The role that her mother played by showing her rock and roll and showing her great music along with her sister. The work ethic that she also learned from her mother. And then, you know, the discipline that took her to today's hits like Hands Tied or Things That Break Part 1, the amazing EP that she released a couple years ago filled with hits. Look, Katie is an unbelievable guest and she's also touring with the Smashing Pumpkins on a worldwide basis. So she's been performing all over the world. Her talent is well known in the music industry and it was an absolute treat to have her. She's produced with people like Howard Hilling, who's produced with Cheryl Crow and Glenn Campbell, among others. He actually found her in Australia and the little breaks that got her to where she is today. What a treat to have Katie today. And guys, she also performed a song for us that, oh my God, you need to stick around and check it out because it is one of the best performances that we've ever had on this show. For more information on Katie, make sure to check out her website, katiecoleofficial.com for future tour dates because when the world returns to normal, don't miss this unique talent. As always, guys, my name is Jamie Rodriguez. I'm the host of this and every episode. We welcome you guys for your support of the show. This year has been an absolute dream the way we've, you know, grown our, our show family and it is because of people like you right now listening to this podcast while you're exercising, while you're driving, while you're working from home. We appreciate every time you click that play button. We don't take it for granted. Without further ado, guys, Katie Cole on the J-Rock Concerts, the podcast. All right, there we go. Such a pro. If every guest was such a pro like you, Katie. <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> I try. I try to make it seem like everything is, uh, I don't know, super pro. <laughs> well, listen, that speaks, that speak, it speaks about your career, which we're going to talk about. Everything you're doing is top of the line. So it goes with that. Absolutely. Thank you yeah. so much for reaching out to me. Absolutely, Katie. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I mean, ever since you came to LA, started working with uh, Howard Killing all these years ago, 2014 or whenever that was, you've been working nonstop, Katie, nonstop. And you've, had, you've created with hard work this really respected career, uh, Americana, Britpop, indie, country, whatever you want to call it. It's great. It's phenomenal. Uh, I mean, time on my hands. 
nothing short of a masterpiece, Kate. And uh, I want to talk to you about, uh, uh, as well as Hands Tied, which is a great song. But uh, so, you know, all these accolades, blah, 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 really good stuff. I appreciate that. And um, I suppose, yeah, working with um, working with Howard Welling has changed the way I really uh, approach not only songwriting, but just the way I approach uh, being in the studio, working with musicians and you know, it was such an overwhelming experience when I first moved to Los Angeles to work into these total sort of top of the line studios. And, and I met a lot of famous people and I was opening up for Glenn Campbell and it was just meeting all these people. And it would just seemed like such a, I don't know, like all these people were real. Like when you're, when you're from another country, like I'm from Australia, it's just sure. all these things seem not necessarily, um, unachievable but these people just seem like oh these are these are just names and places and famous people and whatever but when it's like all of a sudden it was like those these were real people in three dimensions and they're right there it was like uh <laughs> and yeah just crazy no absolutely and I do want to talk to you about that because by the way it's so funny how whenever like these Australian talents like yourself you guys like talk about just going to LA like it's a two-hour flight I went to yeah. Australia once and it changed me <laughs> <laughs> it changed me, Katie. I don't know what was happening in there. I, I felt like I was there for like a year. Yeah. I felt bloated. I, I don't yeah. know what happened. But and you guys talk about it like, yeah, you know, just went to LA, went straight to work, went straight to the studio. You know, that's really pretty cool. Yeah. And my first, I, I mean, I still remember my first trip to Los Angeles before I moved there. Um, and obviously, I, mean, I live in Nashville now. But, but when I first traveled to Los Angeles, I got on the I think it was 15 and a half, 16 hour flight. And a lot of people are like, like, yes, like yourself, you think it's a, and it is kind of, I mean, I've done the flight enough times, but you know, it's like three solid films. It's like five or six episodes of some random yeah. show. It's dozing off and waking up and going, what? Um, you eating, must have it all snacking. down. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The blood compression socks, the water, the whole thing. Right. Yes, but you still get off the plane and you're still jet lagged. Like that's an unavoidable fact of any sort of international travel. And all you can hope for is that your first night's sleep or your second night's sleep, like that you can lock it down and just change the way because otherwise your brain will be literally waking up in the middle of the night going, when am I, what, who? Yeah, uh, when's, when's dinner time at two in the morning, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Totally. <laughs> Oh, Katie, that's awesome. Well, listen, before we get started, I have to tell you, happy belated birthday. Still counts, right? Yes. I think so. I think so. <laughs> yep, I'll you know, take it. You know, you share your Scorpio birthday with like some really cool people like Hillary Clinton, um, Keith Urban, all really hard worker and focused, you know, achievers. So there you go. Cool. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for the yeah. wishes. Yeah, Thank absolutely, you. Katie. So, um, okay, let's begin here. You're such a musical soul. Uh, I mean, you just ooze like cool right out of the camera. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm talking to Stevie Nicks plus Debbie Harry divided by, I don't know, but whatever. I want to talk to you about the source, your mother, mm -hmm. special woman. Um, how was he growing up with Melbourne with the mom who would sit you down to watch 10 minute solos of concert films? How awesome is that? Well, it wasn't so awesome at the time. Like I appreciate it now, like so much more than I did as a child, I suppose. Um, I really thought it was what everybody else did, that everyone else was that steeped in music the way that um, my mom was with me and my sister. But yeah, she would sit us down to watch entire concerts, um, listen to records. Um, I mean, really just sit and just listen, <laughs> like not do anything else. 
Um, you know, she took, you know, me and my sister to musicals and we just, it was such a, it was just part of who she was. And um, I, I learned to love music and just appreciate like so many different genres. Like it was, she showed me everything from, yeah, Aretha Franklin to uh, Billy Idol to uh, Pink Floyd. It was just the, the scope of music. I mean, a lot of what she really loved was rock and blues based um, music, but it was really broad and um, she still had, you know, some classical music in her background too. And she played piano and it was just, but it was like, I didn't realize that other families and other friends didn't do that <laughs> until yeah. I'd like, I'd go visit their houses and they'd be playing sport or doing something. And I'd just be like, you know, why aren't we listening to music? Like I, <laughs> yeah, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't click with that's all, you know, then you don't think anything different of it. And Great. I, yeah, I was, it, because music was just there, piano was always there, like I taught myself piano and that progressed into teaching myself guitar. And it just, it just was, became something that felt very, very natural to start. Um, it was never like, I, I'm going to, you know, learn this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, it just was there and something it was natural. Your way of life. It very much, yeah, very, wow. very well put. It, it was a way of life. Um, that just sort of progressed and propelled forward until I sort of clicked one day. Um, I suppose it was in my late teens, uh, mid teens, that it was like, oh, this is this is a thing. <laughs> yeah. This is something that um, other people don't do that doesn't come naturally to them. And um, yeah, it was it didn't become conscious until that point. Epic, epic, and you know, and your mom was also like a great, great worker, like great work ethic, right? For you and your sister, like you saw that every day. Yeah, she she was definitely the you know, she was the role model. She did the, she did everything that, um, I mean, I could have, you know, she's, she's one of those people that you look at and you're like, she's working, she's being the mom, she's, you know, raising two kids and she's just, just, just doing it all. And she made it look like, you know, she, I know she was, it was hard for her because, you know, doing that on as a single parent is difficult, but um, she, she made it look like she, we never went without, we never knew that, she was really struggling until, you know, obviously, you know, you have chats with your parents after the fact and you realize, oh, this was really that. And that was really that. And you sort of work things like that out. But um, she was always just encouraging that both me and my sister were just happy and we were doing what we loved. And that was what mattered to her. It wasn't about being super ambitious and super, you know, just super focused on doing this or that. She just wanted us to be happy. And she never pushed me into doing music. It was just something that I knew, as you said, it was that way of life thing that she, of course, is happy that I've pursued it and that I do this um, as my job and as my life. But um, in no way was she ever like the stage mom going like, it wasn't my daughter. <laughs> it was not like none of that. It was, she was, I suppose, surprised that it, that it was a career option. It wasn't because she always just saw it as something that she loved, like listening right. to records and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Let's move on to your career, but please tell your mom that she's got massive fans in the States and, and our American <laughs> way of life appreciates her. But anyway. Okay, I will. Thank all you. All right. All right. Let's move on to your early career, Katie. Um, I mean, you started, you briefly touched 15, 16 years old. You start performing in uh, clubs and bars in Australia with mm -hmm. this work ethic. What an education that must have been, right? Katie, I mean, you know, live audiences at 15, you know, you get the drunk creep, you get the applause, you get, you get everything. You absolutely nailed it. I did get everything. And it was, uh, 
And I suppose, I mean, I, I suppose all the patrons that were in these, you know, bars and clubs just assumed that I was in Australia, obviously the legal drinking age is 18. They just assumed that I was, you know, old enough to be there. And um, I was lucky to be playing in these clubs as a professional and paid from the beginning. But I suppose I worked out my uh, relationship with the audience, how to communicate, how to perform, how to, you know, create a barrier between you and the audience so that you are not as approachable as everyone else, that you're not like everyone else, that you have some sort of facade about you, that you're in, you're in this place, you're on that stage and, you know, you, you should be, I don't know, not, not revered, but like you should, you, you're yeah. there and you're, you're, you just, you're doing something different to everyone else. Very, very much so. And I, I, I learned about, um, being the performer versus being just like everyone else in a club, but also being friendly enough to chat to people. Like, I mean, I suppose I, I had to work out that, that I mean, I'm, I played in those early years when I was first, um, it was my day job at night, so to speak, playing in clubs. So I was playing five, six, sometimes seven nights a week, um, right up right up through um, my early 20s. I mean, I really went for it. <laughs> that was my yeah. job. But at any given time, you have regular clientele that are coming to, you know, your shows. You've got all the managers of each separate hotel or club. You've got all the bar stuff. It's like learning people and a lot of what um, the music industry that I've really learned to bring forward to, de- to today is it's a people industry. And it's about yeah. being, having, obviously having fans and having something to offer and being musical, but being really personable with the people that you work with, whether it's in the studio or on the stage or whatever, people want, will want you around more so if you're nice. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds it's so, also simple. It sounds so simple. There you go. I do High get five. that. Absolutely. But and no so, one does it. It's so true. Like being nice, being grateful for where you're actually at. And I, I really am because I never in a million years would I have guessed that this is where I would be today you know, having yeah. released a bunch of albums, having toured the world, having done all this stuff. Smashing but pumpkins, you know, all that stuff. I mean, Totally. It's, a, it's a, been a crazy ride, but just I learned really early on that it's a, it's a people situation that you're in. It's not just, you know, it's not that I'm replaceable because I'm not, I don't think I'm replaceable um, artistically, but there is so, like you, you go onto Spotify or Instagram or any of the yeah. social networks, you are not going to be short of somebody with, with talent. Right. There's a lot of people with talent out there. I think I have something different and special to give in terms of being um, an artist and a songwriter. I think I have a, a message to offer there. But oh yeah. If you can be amazing and talented and special, but if people really don't like you, or if you're just a total difficult person to work with people remember that and that's the sort of oh, yeah. information that spreads i suppose so Absolutely. i've always tried to just be have a really good work ethic and bring that forward into what i do as my business like my business brain like it's very separate yeah. to my artistic brain but like to keep that sort of in mind absolutely um, yeah no, it's true i mean i mean and it can really leave a mark right like we've been talking lately like eddie van halen passed and we yeah we, we did we did remembrances with the rock and roll hall of fame and a bunch of people and like you know they had a rough period and these things are part of your legacy like yeah th- th- it matters it matters people remember when you're nice and all this stuff but anyway i think so yeah. Absolutely, Katie. So your music, um, you did two pieces pre-2014, uh, recorded bits and pieces in Australia, then you would take the two-hour sh- charter to LA, and then just <laughs> to do some tracking stuff, you know, back and yes. forth, casual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, 
you know, one of your first singles, Lost in a Moment. Uh, you wrote it with Justin Gray. Mm-hmm. You, released it, you released it, I mean, 10 years ago already. Uh, yeah. But the quality is incredible, Katie. I mean, how do you look back at that song? But I have to tell you, when, when we talk to artists and we look back at the first song, sometimes you see that evolution. With you, it's like, yeah, you've gotten better, of course, but, but that was an incredible debut. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm not, not just that you've, that you've really backtracked into my musical catalog, but I appreciate that as a, as a songwriter as well, because I remember writing that song with Justin and I knew, like I knew when we were writing it, that that song was special. And as a songwriter, like one of you has to demo the song. Sometimes you'll sit in a session and you, somebody has to do the demo. So I demoed the song and realized that it was, there was something really there and played it to played it to Howard and it obviously made the cut for the EP um, of the same name, Lost Inside a Moment. Um, I still knew that that song was special and thanks yeah. to um, Howard Willing and just his his approach for the song, like he knew like this song should have, you know, strings in it. So it's at a real string section. Like we, we got to work. I mean, he brought me into some incredible studios like Henson to record, just to record bits and pieces there. And so good. Yeah. I just, I knew that there was something about that song. Um, and it wasn't until I worked with um, a UK based uh, radio plugger and he loved that song. And he's like, I'm going to pitch that to UK radio. And I was just like, Australian import into Los Angeles. I was still obviously in Los Angeles at the time. And his sort of niche market was breaking American artists in the UK. And obviously I'm not American, but I was based in America. So that was kind of, it fell into his yeah. his sort of world. And he pitched that song to radio there and they were just like, and playlisted it, which is a very big deal because um, BBC Radio 2 is national radio in huge. the UK. It huge, is huge. Yeah. Um, so obviously I was played along, you know, these huge artists like Rolling Stones and Lady Antebellum or Lady A now. And just, it was just, it was very big for me at the time because I was like, okay, and what does that mean? Cause, and he was like, independent artists mm-hmm. very rarely get playlisted. It's really reserved for artists on labels or artists that are already well-known, blah, blah. So he explained that to me and I was like, oh, <laughs> and so I released another song off that EP, did the same thing. He, he, um, pitched it to UK radio again and it was a song called Sunrise yeah. and that got Great playlist song. that got playlisted too and I was just like again it was that well, what does this mean what do I do and he's like this is special that there's an audience there for you in the UK and I, I was my brain my business brain was like you know ticking and ticking away and I was like okay so I booked myself a little tour in in, in the UK and did some acoustic shows did a little bit of um, press and media with um, BBC Radio 2 and along with other just national print media and organized all this stuff like really quick because it was like you know I used to go strike while the iron's hot and all that stuff sure, but it, was, sure. it was just like go 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 just make it happen and I, I feel like I got a lot out of that situation and it, and it taught me to it was another well it was another reminder that you can do that you can if you put your mind to it you can make things happen you can you can make things happen in a really short period of time and it's good to like when you've got momentum just go for it and and it just it was something that was just another reminder to, that I've sort of I can I can do those things and I've taken that forward into my life of just like if I think I can't do something I sort of look back at my history and go yes you can <laughs> of course you, you can you can do that Unbelievable, Katie. And, you know, speaking of the, I mean, BBC too, of course, lay, lay it all down. You, you did it in 2013, 2014. Yeah. Two hours to make it. 
even like that's when like you really like just hit it out of the park and they were also the first in line and yeah, let's yeah. talk let's talk about the brits just for a quick second katie why why are they why did they have such good taste like you'll take even some bands like the killers american mm-hmm. band they never broke in america even though they're from las vegas yeah. they broke over there to make it yeah. over here what why do you think that is like what's the deal with the brit they, they, they have such good taste i think it's the fact that if if people like it if it can manage to get onto something like bbc one or bbc two mm-hmm. it's got such a huge captive audience that if something really works there it just goes and those playlists yeah. like bbc radio um one and, and radio two playlists are kind of seen as tastemaker lists for the surrounding countries like Ireland and Scotland they'll, and France. They'll look in at that list and go, and go, what, what are those artists? And they'll take mm-hmm. a look at them before they've even broken, they may not have even been pitched to those countries yet yeah. by the labels, by the managers. They may not have even touched base there, but they'll look in at those charts and go, what's that? And they may pick it up and it may just go, it may be one of those things that all of a sudden there's another 30 to 60 million people in a, in a new country that all of a sudden are exposed to this new artist. And it can just, it can go that quickly because there's very highly populated countries that are right next to each other. Right. So it can just be, whereas America, obviously it's huge. It's got a huge population, but it can be one of those things where something just works in one state in another state, sure. not necessarily having a national game plan for music is extremely challenging because mm-hmm. you're talking about so multiple right? radio stations, multiple um, national networks. It's just, it's a very big game to play, but you, yeah. you can tackle it little by little country by country in Europe and, and it can just go. Amazing. I mean, I, I mean, with a song like Heartstone Band, I don't care who you are. Like if you have like ears and a brain, you're going to stop and like, you're going to be like, what is that? That's Thank incredible. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Cheers. Cool. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> and then you, you crowdfunded this album, right? Yes, that was part of sure it. Uh, how was that experience? What did it teach you? Um, well, it was challenging. It was really challenging. It, it made me realize that not only did I have to make the record, I then had to make all the rewards that I promised to, <laughs> to make as well. So you, you, you really, I mean, doing crowdfunding, I suppose the ideal situation for crowdfunding is to do it when you've already got a released finished product so that you're just raising money to pay back yourself but I really didn't have money so it was it was like I have to raise this money to make this record or it's not going to get made um and the situation evolved it began as a well I'm just going to maybe do an EP like maybe do five or six songs and you know take something sort of medium size something you know attainable I can do this project and it just became once I'd started writing songs and once I realized uh, well how it helped me realize what the you know studio cost would be in the studio and that we could probably get more songs done for less amount of time in the studio it was like well uh, well and it ended up being a full you know expanding into a full album taking a lot longer to complete as a result um which I you know it has its good and bad qualities to it like I want you know obviously you want momentum and you want to just be releasing new music and new music but being a more organic based artist where it's not you know studio drums it's not produced it's not programmed it's real drama real instruments those things take time and money I can't just you can't pretend to well you obviously you can because people program drums all the time but I've learned through Howard's eyes and he's always brought great musicians to the table that they can bring so much to the song and have used the you're really using their instinct on the song to build 
momentum into this or dynamic into this section, you're really casting musicians to play a role in a song. And that's yeah. got it, that's really its own art form that I don't understand, but I do know that you know the role of the producer is to cast those people, cast the right musicians yeah. to play yeah. those parts. And I, I there's a lot of trust there, but like I get it. Like I've seen him do it you know before and we've worked together for a long period of time. So I've got no no problems with that trust there now. Um, and you can't, you know, as I said, like if you're paying a musician this, you can pay him just a tiny bit more and they'll stick around and play a couple extra songs. So that's kind of the, that's always kind of the model that has been, uh, that has worked for me for crowdfunding because you can get more out of your out of your dollar rather than doing a song by song by song that can, right. you end up spending a lot more. Um, but it, you know, a really challenging situation because you are doing everything yourself. And then once you have completed it, then it's like, well, what do I do with this thing? Then it's, yeah. oh, I have to make videos. I have to promote it. I have to play all of those roles as, you know, half a dozen to a dozen ex extra roles that I have to play outside of being right. the songwriter and the artist. So I have to, you know, change hats, play that role, change hats again, play this role and not be, uh, not take any of those roles emotionally too seriously because I have to do all of them. So I, one, one, <laughs> one of the roles I might play might look at it and be like, well, I can't, that's hard because that conflicts with this. And it, you, it ends up being a complicated situation when you are an independent artist. But if you can learn to juggle all the things that you have to do along with graphics, along with social media, it, it's, it, it's a challenging role because it's not just one thing that you're doing. Um, but I, yeah, I, it's, I'm glad it's taught me so much because if you have to do something, if no one else is going to do that thing, but you, yeah. you, le you learn how to do it, you learn how to do it yeah. or you make mistakes doing it. Then you know the right way to do it this time around. And yeah, I'm, and you're I'm not going to let I'm, anyone like get into your creative vision either because you, you yes. did the whole journey. Correct. Correct. So each little step that I take mean, I feel like it means a lot more to me now because yeah. I've, I've done it. No, I, I, you know, and I'm so happy you're telling us all this, Katie, because um, all these little details, like they make a difference at the end, even if they take extra days, extra money. And um, you're not playing this game that some people, some bands are playing of releasing a single every two weeks now. Like, no, you go for the quality and thank you. Because a song like, like Time On My Hands, we were yes. listening to it earlier with uh, yesterday with my production assistant. We must have heard it like for four hours straight, Katie, but... <laughs> We really did. But what we came back to with that song, Time On My Hands, was it's layered. That's what yeah. we, we always get back to this, to this word, layered. It's like one of these movies that you see and you see every, every year in Christmas, in Halloween or whatever, and you always see something new, something mm -hmm. new. And you have a different experience every time you hear it. So um, it does make sense. And, and all your songs are like deep like that. And they're like a journey and they're incredible. So, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, I mean, Time On My Hands was a song that, I mean, like many of my songs I, I wrote and then rewrote and then rewrote parts of it and Howard was very um, involved in like, oh, the, I'm not sure if that line on that section here, if that really sort of connects, maybe have another go over, over that. And I've learned to take things not personally like that. If, he, if he's picking up on something um, with his ears, I'll it's okay to take another look at it. Even if, even if I circle back to it and it stays in that role and stays, that lyric stays there or that melody stays there, I've tried to do some other things with it. But it was one that 
I tried different demos of it, like we demoed it up and then we demoed it down and then it just became, no, it should just be kind of scaled back. It should be kind of acoustic layered and it should just be this really um, emotional and personal performance. Um, it shouldn't be complicated. It should sound natural, but it should kind of really connect. It should feel like I'm singing it to you. Yeah. Um, well. And that's sort of how it, and I, I think it was, it was one of the first songs I really thought when I released um, the uh, Things That Break Part 1 EP that has Broke and All My Winters, Graceland with a big horn section, Rest in Pieces, and Time On My Hands being quite scaled back. I thought everyone would gravitate to the bigger, the bigger production songs. And that was the first immediate hit. Everyone was like, that song. And I was like, oh, well, there's something in it. There's something real in there that people are connecting with. So thank you for um, bringing it up. Absolutely. Absolutely, Katie. And, and then I want to, you know, you're being so generous with your time. Let's talk about the new singles like Lie to Me, Hands Tied. It's been a good year for you releasing really high quality songs. Uh, let's talk about Hands Tied for a second. I mean, you, when you start a song with that lyric, I fell in love here in Laurel Canyon. How can you miss with that? You know? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm very inspired by, you know, I'm a, and I know it's, you know, it's, it's, it's throwing back to, you know, past artists, but I still love Fleetwood Mac and Tom Petty and those oh, artists. And that's the DNA of our show, Katie. You, you, I think you know, so too. Coral Canyon, like hell yeah. It's just, it's just part of it and mentioning, it's funny because, again, being Australian, like you might watch television or movies or whatever and they reference these places and, being Australian, you know, it doesn't click with you. Like you just go, oh, that's that place or that's Hollywood or that's Ventura Boulevard. You know, those are places. But when I lived in Los Angeles for, you know, a good few years before moving to Nashville and it's like you walk Ventura Boulevard and you know what that yes. means. Or oh, you're, my God. 100%. It just means something. It just means something Super different. True. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I get yeah. or you pass a club or a restaurant or something. 100%. It's been referenced in a song or a movie or a show and you just like. It just oh, feels like this is what Tom Petty meant. This is what he, this is what they I meant. Love it. Exactly. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I've always wanted to be that person and be a storyteller and tell stories. And, and, you know, I, I may elaborate on some of my truths, but, you know, I've, I did want to write a, write some of Hollywood into a song because it is that thing of all the flashing lights there and all that stuff and being lost, but sort of falling in love again, you don't really want to. Like I just wanted to capture that sort of sense of fighting against yourself. <laughs> and I do a lot of that as an artist, like just being a creative person. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm my own critic. I'm always fighting against myself. So to bring that forward, that sort of emotion forward in a love song and fighting against myself, although it's inevitable, you are going to fall in love again. It is going to happen. You can't stop it because you're, and it's essentially being, yes, your hands are tied. It is going to happen. You can't, like the heart wants what it wants, but it's that feeling of, of you know, the, the danger and the, you know, as I said in the lyrics, it's like the flashing lights and the hazards. It's like, you know, this could go horribly wrong. Every part of you is like, this could just be an absolute train wreck, but your heart's like, well, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> in a hurricane so it all gets swept away with all the reasons you can't stay hung over and hung 
hung out to the right Behind the wheel crossing the line The last words stir in my mind Let me come undone tonight Jesus loves me but you don't So I'm praying for the pain to go Maybe he's got better plans And all I've got is time on my hands Like a bird sings in a cage Trapped by my own mistakes This too will pass on my friends say it's just a waiting game Jesus loves me but you don't So I'm praying for the pain to go Maybe he's got better plans And all I've got is time on my All the